2: My name is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700. But I'm better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. For those who don't know who the hell I am. We're gonna talk about the Affirmation Tower that's, being, that's trying to get built in New York City, which is going to be the largest building in the Western Hemisphere, right? This, you could clap it up for that. You could clap it up for that. Yo, this building is gonna stand 1,663 feet tall, encompassing over two million square feet of space. The best thing about this building, y'all, the development team is 80% black. Come on, man. Come on, man. 80% black? Y'all hear that? <laughs> so, I'ma bring out our first, our first guest. He's the managing partner at Exact Capital, has developed over one million square feet of anything from affordable housing to hotels to retail spaces in the last year alone. In the last year alone. Not his career, in the last 12 months, all right? Exact Capital has developed over 300 million in commercial and residential projects and over 2,000 units developed or renovated since its inception. I need y'all to get on your feet, because this is a billion dollar brother right here, and give a warm EYL welcome to Craig Livingston. Our next special guest, man, Mr. Donahue Peoples, is the founder and chairman and CEO of Peoples Corporation. One of the country's few privately held national real estate investment and de- development companies. Peoples is one of the wealthiest African-American real estate developers in the United States with Forbes estimated his net worth in excess of $700 million. But that was like 10 years ago, Troy? He said he stopped cooperating with Forbes 10 years ago. So you know he well over a billion. So, I need y'all to give a round of applause, stand on your feet, for the man, the myth, the legend, (laughs) Mr. Donahue Fools. (laughs) Woo! All right, guys, y'all got your pen and pad? No, let me take my glasses off. Let me not even be disrespectful to this conversation. All right, let's start off with Mr. Craig Livingston. Please introduce yourself, tell the audience a little bit about yourself for the people who don't know who
3: you are. All right, Matt, good morning, everybody. All right, so this is what 1.2 trillion in buying power looks like. Woo! All right? Woo! So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Craig Livingston. I am the managing partner of a vertically integrated real estate development firm and headquartered in Manhattan called Exact Capital Group. We develop a wide range of multi-strategy projects around the country. We have everything from hospitality to affordable housing, mixed-use commercial, and we're operating in about seven or eight states right now. And I do have to say, Matt, we got to update those stats, all right? Let's, let's talk, we, let's we, talk we, about we, it, talk we, about we, those we, stats. We're well in excess of a billion in development uh, at this point. And there's there's no end in sight. What we're going to talk about today is revealing how we do this, and I hope some of you join us. Love it,
2: love it. Over a billion, my apologies. (laughs) Over a billion. Mr. Donahue Peebles, please introduce yourself for the people who don't know who you are.
4: Good morning, everybody. Great to see everybody. I'm Don Peebles, and I am the chairman and founder of a company called the Peebles Corporation. Which I started when I was 23 years old in Washington, D.C. I got my start in Washington, D.C., which was in Chocolate City, and it was run by a black mayor and a black government. And that's where I got my opportunities, and we'll talk about that later. I built my first building in 1986 um, in a historically black community called Anacostia in Washington, D.C. D.C. in a building. From there, I went on to build a couple million square feet in downtown D.C. And then on a vacation in 1995, I went down to South Beach and for the opening of the Delano Hotel. And I liked it, so I got an apartment down there. And then reading a newspaper article a few weeks later, um, I uh, read about an opportunity to develop a hotel in South Beach called the Royal Palm. So on the flight back, I told my wife, we're going to bid on the Royal Palm Hotel. We're going to win. And it's going to change the trajectory of our company. So six months later, I won the rights to build the second largest hotel in South Beach. And then the, f- and then the first major hotel in the United States, developed by black developers. And from there, I built our company to what it is today. Um, and we have uh, right now about eight billion dollars of, of development in our pipeline we 're in Boston where we 've got a billion dollars plus there, finishing up a half a billion dollar project in Tribeca, uh, building, rebuilding a black community in uptown Charlotte called Brooklyn Village with twelve buildings Oof. and uh, and then also um, we are doing many things in Miami, and a partner of mine and I. who ran the largest black asset management firm for real estate, Victor McFarlane and I are building what will be the tallest, third tallest building in the Western United States called Angels Landing for about $2 billion. Um, So, But more about what what our company does is we have a a philosophy called affirmative development. And that means that we got to recognize that African-Americans, we have started off so far behind, 450 years or so. And that we, when we get into a position of power, or where we can give out opportunities, we've got to aggressively go out and identify African-American and black women, especially, for opportunities. Yes, yes. And so our business focuses on at least 35% of every dollar we spend goes to black businesses. And we continue to do that as we scale up. And that's more about what I'm about. And by the way, that's why I stopped cooperating with Forbes because I hope I stand for more than just some money. Um, I'd like to thank my company and I stand for transformative barrier breaking and knocking down barriers so all of you all can walk through. So thank you, good to be here.
2: Yo, give it up for that, man. Give it up for that, that was beautiful. It's all right. So we're gonna focus on the Affirmation Tower, right? It's 90 stories tall, set to occupy one of the last few open acreages in Manhattan. My first question, I'm from New York, right? It's right across from the Jacob Javits Center. Shout out to New York in the building. Queens get the money. (laughs) My question to you is, how the hell did y'all find a piece of land in Manhattan? Tell us that process.
4: All right, well, so... um, Craig and I are both um, in New York City, our businesses are in New York City, and, uh, and our other partners as well. So we look at a lot of public-private developments. And so the site for an RFP um, for this site across the street from the Javits Center called Site K came about in 2020-ish. Um, and, you know, initially, I wasn't going to look at it. And then I said, you know what, maybe they get gaming in New York City, Maybe there's some other opportunity. So let's take another look at it. So I said, you know, we're going to do something in New York. Let's do it very differently. And so I called up Craig to see if he had an interest um, in joining with us, which he did. And then Cheryl McKissack, um who's been a friend for 42-plus years, um, who runs the oldest black-owned construction company in the United States, who, who unfortunately can't be here today because she has, she's, for health reasons... Um, she's uh, recovering and will uh, be able to be here next year. But anyway, so I made a decision that, all right, let's do something different. We're gonna build the first black skyscraper in New York City, and then I found out it would be the first black developed skyscraper in the United States. And so we made a decision to do that and make it a showcase of black economic excellence. And so we got David Adjaye, who is the architect who, for the Museum for African American History and Culture in DC. Um, we had Cheryl's firm do the con- be the construction general contractor. So we had an all-black and woman-led team. And so when we named it, we named it after what affirmative development means, and so affirmation tower. So when the building got designed, the building was shorter, it was about 250, 300 feet shorter. And when the design team presented it, I asked, I said, well, what's the tallest building in New York? And so it was one, we're all scanning our phones and looking, it was one world trade. And so I said, well, we're gonna do something and we're gonna be Transformers. Let's make our point. It's been a long time coming. So let's build the tallest building and not just New York, but the Western Hemisphere. And that's how we got started.
2: Powerful, powerful. Man, that was a lot to unpack right there. I hope y'all was really paying attention to that. So, Craig, let me ask you a question. How does one approach um, the challenging task of securing a piece of land for development in New York City, right? So, like, what are the challenges that come with, you know, trying to develop something of this magnitude?
3: Well, for Affirmation Tower in particular, that is a publicly owned site. It's owned by New York State, and they go through a process of issuing an RFP, a request for proposals, to interested business people who want to develop some concept on that site. So uh, when Empire State Development, which is the Governor's Economic Development Agency, issued uh, that RFP, we responded. And so we provided a proposal that was top flight proposal, one of the best that was reviewed by this team uh, at ESD. And as a matter of fact, they made comment about the financial acumen on this team and the fact that when we showed up, we had the money already. So money was not going to be an issue with us getting our building built. So speaking of money, right, first of all, how does one get on this
2: list, right? Because, you know, they're just not sending it out to a mass email, you know, contact list. So how do you even get on this list to have these opportunities to be a
3: part of something historic like this? Well this is actually public information, but what happens is that the way the system has been set up, it's almost rigged, right? Where you have a situation, commercial real estate, and this is why so many people are here today, is not diverse and is not inclusive. What has happened is generationally wealth, real estate, has passed from generation to generation in the hands of the same families over time and we've been denied our fair access to economic opportunity, and certainly we've been denied fair access to the capital, we need to exploit that economic opportunity to make money. Right, there's a reason why we have a wealth gap in this country, and that's the main driver of it. So uh, when it comes to the capital, when it comes to the economic opportunity, uh, it's not always fairly allocated, but the information is out there, what we need to do is find ways to collaborate more. One of the things uh, that I'm really proud about about this partnership and the network of developers we work with, Don and I in New York City, we say that when we see another black businessman, we don't see a competitor, we see a potential partner. Right, so we want to share information. We want to work together and do more together. Yes, yes, I love that.
4: I I just want to add something to one, he didn't tell you how much money we came with, just so everybody understands, it was $3.6 billion. Well, billion would it be, y'all? And so the governmental agency that interviewed us during our interview said that they had no doubt that we had the financial wherewithal to get it built. So that's a very powerful statement. The second thing is Craig's right. When these public-private projects come out, they generally are rigged. but. I think this is very important that everybody understands. To do well, to make a lot of money, you got to be an outlier to begin with. No matter what our race is, you got to be an outlier. And the odds are against you every time. Every RFP that I've been involved with, was including the first one, was rigged against me. You just got to figure out how to play the game and unrig it. And So everyone will be rigged against you, but don't let that discourage you because they won't see you coming. You know, my biggest challenge now is if people see us coming, as opposed to before, I could surprise them a bit. Um, The way you find out about these deals is you register. Every city, every state, and the United States all have economic development arms. They also have contracting arms. And so you go online and you register for RFPs, requests for proposals and information for solicitations to sell any property that they have. So what we do as a company is we target, every year we target, okay, we want to be in LA, we want to be in Miami. And so our team adds that to the mix and we have people who look at the responses because they'll come out, you know, it's much easier now um, all the information is available, and they'll send you a detailed information about a new solicitation. So just register. And by the way, don't be afraid to take a big bite. Don't be afraid to take a big shot. OK, because you can't grow and get big without taking big shots.
2: I love that. I hope y'all wrote that down. Y'all always asking me where to find deals. We just heard the billion dollar play. So I hope y'all really took notes on that. So. You guys came to the table with $3.6 billion. Let's talk about that capital stack, right? What does this look like? Are you, I know you can't walk into your local Chase. Shout out to Chase, one of our sponsors, by the way. I know you can't just walk into a local branch and get this type of money. So let's talk about how did you guys come up with this $3.6 billion?
4: Well, think about this. By the way, this is the most unknown aspect of real estate. I'm glad you touched on this. Everybody thinks you gotta, if you do a $100 million project, and let's pick $100 million for a minute, you gotta have $100 million. But no, you don't. So first of all, you're gonna be able to borrow 65 to 70% from a bank. So now, now your, your need is not 100, it's now 30 million. Now that 30 million you can get from private equity, Goldman Sachs, where Craig started, for example, Blackstone, Blackrock, all these private equity firms. And they will put up 90% of the equity for you. So that means to do a $100 million project, you need 3 million. Now, it doesn't stop there. I know New York developers who do this all day long. They take that 3 million and they syndicate that. That's called GP capital, so general partner capital. So the general partners, what Craig and I do, And then there's a limited partner, which are institutional investors. And that's who does that 90% of the equity. And then there's senior debt. So some developers will take the general partner capital and they'll raise 90% of that. Now imagine, now that means that a developer can build a building for $100 million with $300,000 out of their pocket. They will also be paid a developer fee by the project of $4.5 million in fees. So they can do the deal with no money out of their pocket and actually get paid almost $4 million to build it. Now you can multiply that by 10 and you can multiply that by three times or four times and it's kind of the same math. So on an Affirmation Tower deal, the equity requirement there is going to be about 35% of three. So it's about a billion two. So we will raise and have raised and identified 90% of that billion two. So that leaves $120 million for us to come up with. Um, and we will, we're planning to do that, but if we wanted to, we could lever up again and probably lever to 80 to 90% of that and put up between 12 and $24 million to build a $3.6 billion project. So the name of this business is Leverage. So you got to think Leverage, and the only thing different between the first building I built for $10 million back in 1986, 87, to Affirmation Tower is just some zeros. That's it.
2: Big gems right there, y'all, I hope y'all caught that. Leverage, OPM, we talk about that all the time on EYL University. So how do you get people to believe, now these are big numbers, right? But they're all numbers at the end of the day. How do you get people to believe in the idea of the
3: Affirmation Tower for them to invest into it? Well, there's a couple really unique, fundamental things about Affirmation Tower. The first thing is that Uh, we have a best-in-class, world-class team. So our architect, uh, Sir David Ajay, is probably the premier architect in the world right now who designed a phenomenal building. We brought a really good concept to the table. We also brought great capital partners uh, in the form of limited partners to put up big chunks of that capital Don was talking about, great lenders, and most importantly, the management team, the development team. When you look at the track records of the people's organization, McKissick and McKissick and Exact Capital, there's a reason why the folks at the state reviewing our proposal said, we have no uh, issue or no doubt about your ability to provide this capital because our track record had proven this out many times over and over again. But also, it was just time to make a statement about diversifying commercial real estate in New York City. If you think about in 2022, in 2022, we're still talking about a first, the first skyscraper to be built by black people. Now, I'm sure many of us have worked on skyscrapers, but we haven't owned and developed one, and it's time for that to change. So when you look clap at- it up, you can clap it up. Yeah. When, when uh, black, business people enter the room, there's always that question mark about you know, our credibility and our ability to perform. So we understand that, and we show up day one looking to address it, those issues. And um, with Affirmation Tower, you have not seen a project like this, and I think there's some, intention, some intentional reasons why, right? Time and time again, the same opportunities go to the same folks. If you look at, in New York City, Uh, Affirmation Towers is part of Hudson Yards. We are one site in the middle of acres and acres of property surrounding it that's all been given to a white developer. And not only given to a white developer, the state threw in $2.2 billion of subsidy to support them, whereas we're having to do a lot of work to get the governor to reissue this RFP so that we can respond to it and win it. There's always obstacles, there's always headwinds, but we're so determined to build this building, it will be built.
2: Man, awesome, awesome, you wanna add to that?
4: Craig touched touched on something that is very important for everybody here to understand. Our business, the real estate development business, is not a complicated business, and it's got low educational barriers to enter. So think about this. I started my company at 23. I started working in real estate at 19. I quit college after my first year. The tallest residential building in New York City right now was developed by a guy who 15 years ago was selling wigs by mail to Orthodox Jewish women. He sold that company, made 15 million or so dollars, and started investing in real estate. Went from there to building skyscrapers and tall buildings. Um, And that's one example. One of the most successful developers in New York started as a taxi cab dispatcher. What it is is that those two people had something in common. America didn't impose any limitations on them. They didn't see any limitations on themselves. So since America tried to impose limitations and did on all of our ancestors, they're not able to do it anymore. And we have to approach business with the mindset that there are no limitations anymore. Yes. And I want to leave you with a thought about where this money comes from. So remember I talked about the equity, the limited partner capital. So right now, so, so equity is provided by venture capital firms, that's help start tech companies, apps and so forth, entertainment companies, and then private equity, which invests in real estate and other kinds of businesses. There right now is 84 trillion dollars, 84 trillion dollars currently invested in venture capital and private equity. Now, Biden just allocated $2 trillion to try to save the country economically. So $84 trillion. Of that $84 trillion, about 1% of it is invested in firms started or run by people of color or women combined. 1%. Now, black people in this country are 13-plus percent of the population. Women are a majority of the population, but yet we can't get access to our own uh, to capital. So the biggest investor in venture capital and private equity are public employee pension systems. So that's the retirement pension systems for janitors, security people, government workers, school teachers, doctors, accountants, everybody who worked for the government, they have these pension systems and they pay into it. So we don't even get fair access to our own capital. In New York City, a majority of the people paying into the pension systems are women. Almost 60% are people of color, and yet they can't do more than 5% of their investments with that constituency. So we can't even get access to our own money. And our own money is funding these other developers who go in and gentrify our communities. And what we got to do is say, enough is enough. We want fair access to our money. Enough is enough, y'all.
3: Matt, I have to add something to that. So I have to add to that point you know, real estate development, commercial real estate is a capital-intensive business. Operative word being capital. We need to have that access to capital. And there has to be some intentionality in doing it. This is what Don just spoke about, our public pension funds, our own money that we can't get access to. Think about how hypocritical that is. Think about this point. At the end of World War II, America went across the Atlantic Ocean and spent, issued a blank check to rebuild Europe for the benefit of 500 million Europeans. Then we went across the Pacific Ocean and spent another blank check to rebuild Japan for the benefit of 150 million Japanese. You've seen us spend trillions in Iraq and Afghanistan, when with $84 trillion on the table, Here at home, we can't figure out how to solve economic empowerment for 30 million black people. Something ain't right, y'all. Something ain't right. Something ain't right. So how do we fix that? Well, this is how we fix it. I think we have to acknowledge that, you know, by and large, black people vote predominantly Democratic. My entire life, that's been the case. I'm a registered Democrat, but the playbook has got to change. Because what we do is we vote, we put people in office, they give a great speech, right? And what we see coming out is poverty maintenance. If we spent half of what we spent on poverty maintenance on investing in our economic empowerment, it would be a different day in this country. So we have to hold our local politicians accountable. When we're having these conversations, forget about the, the chicken-in-every-pot speech. If they're not talking to you about money and giving you access to capital, venture capital, loans for your businesses, investments, if they're not having that conversation, we've got to remix the conversation. No more of the, I'm going to give a good speech, make you feel good, you let me, nothing changes. It's, we all have a role in this, y'all.
4: How many people in here own or want to start a business? Raise your hand. All right. Love it. How many, hold, keep your hand up. Everybody, keep your hand up. How many of you all have enough money to start and fund your business? Keep your hand up if you have enough money to do it. Put your hand down if you don't. All right, so look at the room now. Most of the hands went down. If this were a different room, everybody's hand would be up because they'd have enough money to run their business. So what we need to do is we need to, by the way, the money for the pension funds is allocated by state treasurers, city treasurers, controllers, mayors, and governors. You need to tell them that we expect fair access to capital so we can grow our business. Because we don't really need other people to be philanthropic to our community. with a fair system, we'll take care of ourselves, right? We just need the game to be played fairly. And I say this, I said this on Earn Your Leisure, that Joe Biden, instead of sitting in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, right now, if it wasn't for us, would be on the waterfront in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, staring out into the ocean as a former vice president. But yet, this man will spend hundreds of billions of dollars to go and help Ukraine. But the federal government employee pension system has 170 different asset managers, only one black one. Wow. And you know who put, it, put, them in pla- put them in place? Trump. Now, it's time for us to tell these politicians, if you want our vote, you got to give us something. It's time to pay us for our support. Agreed. 1,000% agree. So let's, let's keep it on politics, right?
2: So the governor of New York, the project was approved, correct, until the new governor came and then kind of put a block on it. But from... From what I researched, this project is going to bring billions of dollars in revenue to the city, create 15,000-plus permanent jobs. Why is the governor giving you guys such a hard time? Craig, you want to start off with that from getting this project going?
3: You know, very good question, Matt. Um, The official answer was the RFP was rescinded to more closely realign with the governor's priorities. And to the point that Donna and I were just making, when you look at who puts the governor in office, who puts the mayor in office, the constituency that's most important to make that happen is the black voter. So if her priorities aren't in line with the black voter, why is the black voter putting her in office? So. What we're pushing for is for the RFP to be reissued so that we can respond and continue the momentum because we know that we have the best concept and we're looking forward to winning. You know, historically, real estate development has been uh, a good old boys club. And if you look, there are families that have generationally owned assets, pass them down from grandfather to grandson to grandson again and have done phenomenally well. I'll tell you a quick story. I went to a meeting right in the heart of Manhattan at a building right on 42nd Street. And I was there to talk business with a very well-heeled development organization, a family-owned company. And I get in the elevator and uh, they leased out the entire building to a Fortune 500 bank, one of the biggest banks in America. But they retained the top floor for themselves. I get to the top floor, and it's you know the thing's probably 70, 80 stories, so you have great views. You get off the elevator, and you can see, and this is Midtown Manhattan, 42nd Street. You can see all the way down to New York Harbor and the Statue of Liberty, looking this way. And if you look that way, you see Brooklyn. That way is Jersey, and behind us is Connecticut. It's all glass. It's amazing looking building. So I go walk into the conference room, and I'm sitting there waiting for the family to come in while we could talk business. And I see this picture on the wall in the conference room. It's this little old immigrant-looking man with a black coat on, holding a suitcase, and he has his little small wife sitting next to him. And I'm looking at him like, wow, looks like a throwback picture. Had to be 100 years old. The family comes in, and they say, oh, I see you're looking at the picture. They tell me, this is our great-grandfather who bought this land in 1914. And if you know what... 42nd Street was in 1914, it was the hood. It was a black neighborhood. But we couldn't have access to capital. We couldn't have access to the resources that we needed to buy land in our own community. But this immigrant family came, bought it. Almost over 100 years later, almost 100 years later, they are able to monetize it as a family, right? Because they had the ability to hold that asset generationally, and the value of that land, believe me, has skyrocketed from when uh, it was first purchased. But it shows you the obstacles uh, that are involved and the barriers to entry in getting into the good old boys club. That land is gonna trade amongst Private equity firms trading for hundreds of millions of dollars, but they kept it themselves they developed it, built a billion dollar tower, and are you know continue to monetize it but that 's how real estate development works in New york City. generational family owned businesses we have we have not been at the table. We are at a four hundred year deficit that we need to catch up on and that 's why government involvement and support of our economic aspirations and providing fair access to capital and fair access to economic opportunity is so important. Don, you wanna to add to that?
4: Yeah. There's a lesson also, yeah. in what, another lesson in what Craig said. The chances are that that great-grandfather had colleagues, friends, Um, and people within his community, and they work together. So one of the reasons I don't like the first black building or the largest black developer is it says that my competition is among us, and it isn't. We're all in this together. So we got to act like we're in this together, and we got to root for each other's success. We got to celebrate each other's success. And we got to help other people be successful as well. And if we work together, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish. Working together got us the right to be in this building because Dr. King didn't do it by himself. We did it together. The fight now is economic empowerment. And we must work together to do it and change things. And we can change things if we do it together and we, and we got to start by working together, rooting for each other, supporting each other, investing in each other and backing each other. The second thing we got to do is we got to tell all these politicians you cannot count on us unless you do something for us. Because as Henry Kissinger said, America has no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. But black people, we have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. And it's economics. Woo, say that line one more time for the people who want to hear you in the back. Permanent friends, permanent interests. Say that go one more time. No permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. And that means that these politicians have to earn our support and they got to earn it every day by helping move our people forward. And it's just fairness. Man, I love that. I'm going to use that line. (laughs) That was great.
2: All right, so let's talk about minority women business enterprises, right? Um, Can you tell the people what that is and and why you guys have invested? This project is going to generate over $1 billion to minority women businesses. Um, Talk a little bit about that.
4: Well, I mean, minority and women-owned businesses, look, we have, I mean, if you go into a democratic, liberal, white audience, they will tell you that America is post-racial, and they will tell you that we are in a meritocracy. But that's like me saying, we're going to the Indianapolis 500, and there's two drivers, and they both got Ferraris, and the cars are just as good. and. You got driver A and driver B. Driver B is actually a little bit better than driver A. But driver A gets to start off on lap 450. And driver B starts off on lap one. And driver B's pit doesn't have enough gas to run 500 laps. And then they say, may the best driver win. Right? Well, that's not fair. So we got to make up for this. So that means that minority and women owned businesses, we know that minority owned, and by the way, when Maynard Jackson came in in 1974, it was black businesses. And what happened is the white sued to stop it from being black. The white liberals said, we're gonna add the rainbow coalition and we're gonna bring in all kinds of different you know, races, and we're going to make it white women as well. Well, last I checked, white women were not oppressed. They may think they were, but when they decided they didn't want to be at home anymore and they wanted to be at a vote, they got the right pretty quickly, and they weren't shot, they weren't having dogs sicked on them, and they weren't thrown in jail. They weren't dragged over to this country and enslaved for 150 years, right? So, the fact is, also, when somebody immigrates to America, They're coming here for an opportunity. When they voluntarily immigrate, they came here and got an opportunity. America didn't owe them anything. They owe America. But we were dragged over here. We built this country for free. So America owes us something. Now they don't want to pay for it. So all we're saying is let's give us an affirmative fair chance. So we got to go back to supporting black businesses. And so what my private company does is out of our $8 billion of projects, I tell my staff, you will not work here if you can't get at least 35% of our contracts to go to black businesses. And when I say women-owned businesses, I mean black women-owned businesses like my mother. So far too often, People like us get into a position of success and power. And then they say, I got mine, and I don't want to risk it. So we cannot do that. We cannot afford to do that. Nothing worse than having an opportunity to make a change and not taking advantage of it and making that change. So what minority and women-owned businesses is all about is getting access to economic opportunity. And that's also in the government. The government's the largest contractor in the world. And they've got trillions of dollars of contracts every year. And it used to be with Maynard Jackson and the black mayors of the 70s and 80s that there was a focus of 35% of the contracts to black businesses. We're not there anymore and we gotta get back to that. Love it.
3: Hey Matt, let me just just, uh, connect the dots on this point and the previous point about working together. So when you look at the data, black developers, minority developers have a much higher propensity to work with other people in the business. So when a black developer is doing a project, we are awarding contracts to black architects, black electronic, uh, electrical firms, plumbing firms, painters, masons, you name it, right? And we feed that ecosystem. The whole point here is to keep that money circulating through this black ecosystem to generate our economy that we control and to grow it. Why Don and I push so hard for projects like Affirmation Tower is it's doing exactly what I just said on a scale that's never been done before. But if we could get this project done, we should see projects like Affirmation Tower replicated around the country. And we should see, in every city, masons, architects, painters, lawyers, accountants, eating off of these projects and all being able to feed families and grow their businesses. We have to get our, sh- our big slice of this pie. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So we're running on
2: time, so I wanna ask, I'm gonna pose this question to both of you, right? And we'll start with you Craig, since you were just speaking. What, would, what advice would you give your younger self when it comes to
3: real estate development? Wow, so I've been at this for a while now, and I think there's a few things I would say. One, think big, think big. When you look at real estate, the same mechanics, the same deal execution that you use to do a $1 million deal are the same mechanics the same deal execution you're going to use to do a hundred million dollar or five hundred million dollar deal and Don just broke down for you the math and the numbers and how we capitalize projects from debt to limited partner capital to GP capital so you see getting that access to capital is super important if you could get that access to capital and access to economic opportunity think big there's no there's no calculus, there's no rocket science in real estate. There's a lot of grinding, a lot of pushing, a lot of ambition, but just like the brother who introduced us, you know, you're going to go through those tough times, but bet on yourself. All right? Bet on
2: yourself.
4: Don. Um. The, I guess the good news is is that I have a son who's 28, so I'm making up for my mistakes, making sure he doesn't make them the same ones. But I would say, I mean, I've been um, very fortunate. And, and so I have, you know, been able to build our company, and I've made, you know, I, I would say, everybody makes mistakes in business, everybody would like to make an adjustment here and there, but ultimately, the one thing that would be the major thing that I would not um, do if I could do it all over again is I wouldn't sell anything. Oh, for the long term. Yeah, now, so as Craig mentioned, the real estate's a highly capital-intensive business. So, and it's a long-term investment. So it takes five years, 10 years for a building to stabilize, and if you build something, it's gonna take a number of years to do that. So your capital is locked up, and if you finance it with private equity and the like, you'll have to sell to pay down the private equity, or if you're fortunate enough, you can refinance and pay them off. But because capital wasn't free-flowing to my company, to, and to me, and anybody like me, and I didn't really understand it as much when I got started. Um, I used my own money to grow my business, but in order to make the money, I had to build an asset and sell it. So I'd have to give three, four, five years of my life, blood, sweat, and tears, getting one of these buildings built, and then sell it. And so an example is, I sold the Royal Palm in 2005, It cost me 80 million to build it. I sold it for $130 million. I felt real good, I made $50 million. Fat, and That was in 2005. In 2015, I tried to buy it back for just under $300 million. So the lesson is not to sell. But in order to get there, we got to solve the access to capital. Because the white guys and the person he, Craig was giving the example of and the family there, they don't have to sell because they're working with each other and doing business with each other. We gotta do business with each other. And what I hate the most is to see a black banker, a black senior person over at a private equity firm, but not being, or working in, government in the government in a treasurer's office or a controller's office or a pension fund and being afraid to invest and support us. We have no use for people like that. They should just get out and leave and make way for other people. But that would be my biggest, my biggest regret, and that is one of the reasons why I am fighting with all I got, to change that. And I'm trying to do that for my family, my, my son, my daughter, and my grandkids one day, but I'm also trying to do it for you. And I need you all to help us do this. Because with access to capital, this room would be full of millionaires, centimillionaires, and several billionaires. So that would be my biggest regret, is selling. So if I did it all over again, I would sell nothing. Hold everything. Yes.
2: I love it, man. Look, I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to go put on some, put out some deals, put out some offers, and build something right now. I'm truly inspired by you gentlemen. Now, we're running on time. You know, BET is one of our sponsors. Shout out to our whole BET family. Um, and you were telling me an interesting story backstage that you and Bob Johnson went to high school together. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Well, okay, not quite. So, so, so my mother. So my. By the way, I was born. My mother had me at 19 years old. My parents were divorced when I was five. My mother was a breadwinner in my family. I saw how hard it was for a black woman to get ahead. And my mother was entrepreneurial, got into the real estate business, and exposed me to it. And it formed how I think. um, Because I saw what she had to deal with every day. And so I made a commitment to myself that I would change that. But my mother was focused on exposing me. So at 14 years old, she made me volunteer um, for a city council member's um, campaign for Washington, D.C. when D.C. got the right to vote in 1974. And that guy ended up uh, becoming mayor of Washington um, four years later. Um, She also got me on Capitol Hill, where I was a page on Capitol Hill, um, where you go to school at six in the morning until 10.30 on the top floor of the Library of Congress, and then go across the street to the Capitol to work in the House of Representatives. And so I did that for two years. So while I was there, there was a guy who would keep coming, I was an intern my last year for Ron Dellums of California and John Conyers. And so th- there was this one guy kept coming into the office constantly, a young brother who was pretty cool, and it was Bob Johnson. And so I became friendly. I was low on the totem pole, so I was sitting out at the front desk, so I became friendly with him and would, you know, ask him about it. He had just started BET. And so after I, you know, went, graduated high school, went to New Jersey for a year and came back to DC, I got much more involved in politics. So the mayor at that time was Marion Barry. Um, And and by the way, just remember, when I mention Marion Barry, a lot of people will laugh, a lot of people this. Marion Barry was mayor of DC and made it the mecca of economic empowerment for black people. (laughs) And let's not fool, so Marion Barry was embarrassed by the FBI because they videotaped him and set him up to do it. Now, he wasn't the first of us to suffer that. The FBI went after Malcolm X. The FBI went after John Kennedy. The FBI went after Martin Luther King, tried to disrupt his marriage, probably helped get him killed. So the government's been an impediment for us. But getting back to how I came back to D.C., Marion was mayor, and one of the biggest fights at that time was a cable television franchise for Washington, D.C. And all these companies were trying to get the nation's capital's cable system. Marion Barry awarded it to Bob Johnson. And Bob Johnson had the cable television franchise for Washington, D.C. Now, he was a cable television industry lobbyist and BET was kind of his part-time thing, and then he started building BET. But it was the economic engine of the cable television franchise for DC that got BET going. And so Bob was a friend of mine and is a friend of mine for all those years, helped inspire me to show me what all could be done. Because what Bob did is he thought big. As Craig talked about, he thought very big. Took the first black company to be on the New York Stock Exchange, and then he bought it back and made several billion dollars in the process. And first black NBA team owner with the Charlotte Bobcats. I mean, so he and others like him showed me the way, and we can all learn from them. And we can all learn, and Bob, so, so think about it. Bob Johnson, the first black billionaire, first black cable television network, first black NBA team, first black cable television franchisee, and he got his start from politics. So that tells us where we need to play. Wow, powerful, powerful. So one
2: last final um, question to you is, there's 13,000 plus of us here live at InvestFest. There's thousands of people watching us on the live stream. How can we support you guys with the Affirmation Tower and get this thing
3: going? Great question. Well. It's it's what we've talked about here today. We have to unlock the power of one working together, which means supporting this project by letting elected officials, not only Affirmation Tower, but projects around the country, because this is really a model. We have to let our elected officials know that if they want our vote, if they want our support, forget about the feel-good speeches. Let's talk about money. Cash rules everything around me. Cream. Cream. Let's talk about the cream. There's a lot of things that are missing in our community. When you look at education, incarceration, poverty, wealth gap, you can name it all of those issues can be solved with economic empowerment. So when they come into you with the speeches, you have to flip the script and say, we want economic empowerment, we want Affirmation Tower to happen. Listen, we would love it if you all would weigh in to Governor Hochul and let her know how important economic empowerment is to our community. For some reason, they come to us for our votes, but they're not reciprocating
4: the same support that we provide. Don. Well, so so when we submitted our response to what's called a request for proposal is when the government requests proposals for contracting or a business opportunity or real estate development project, we responded to it. Andrew Como was governor. Um, we responded. We were ranked very highly. Um, we had the best proposal, biggest building, paid the most money. And then Andrew Como during that process, ended up resigning from office. and. Kathy Hochul, the lieutenant governor, took over. She's a Democrat from Buffalo, New York. Um, And so they, when she brought in her people, they decided to put it on hold and reissue it. And my view is, is our economic progress can't be put on hold. We don't have any time to wait. It's an urgent situation. And so what I would ask is for us, for Affirmation Tower, by the way, if we can't win when we offer the most money, build the tallest building, have the most diversity, then when will we win? So we need anybody who's listening or everybody in here, send an email and post online about Kathy Hochul Award Affirmation Tower now. Not now, but right now. And then the other thing I would ask you to do is every one of you all, look up your state controller and treasurer and say you want fair access to capital and that you wanna see more black asset managers, more black um, developers, more black entrepreneurs receiving their capital and their investment.
2: Love it, man, love it. Look, fellas, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you guys coming to InvestFest 2022 and dropping so many gems. Thank you, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a round of applause for Craig Livingston and Mr. Don Peoples. Get ahead of
1: postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.